Welcome back to the Amkiss podcast brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast to find out more about the people behind Amkiss as we hear from member schools and the Amkiss board. Now, in this episode, we're hearing from Ollie Adams, Director of Communications, Admissions and Development at Brentwood School. But Ollie is also chair of Amkiss. However, it's not like he's been an Amkiss member since 1997. In fact, we get to find out just what Ollie was doing back in 1997, and we also find out what he was doing before working in marketing, how his family looks, and we even touch on the pandemic. But not too much, you'll be glad to know. Ollie also talks about the Amkiss conference in May and how to get the most from it. But let's not waste any more time here. Come with me instead as we speak to the person who is Ollie Adams from Brentwood School. Ollie, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? Thanks very much for having me, Simon. Really good to be here. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's Easter Tuesday. I'll start by breaking the fourth wall already. And uh, uh, we've had our senior school photograph this morning. Um, so we've had the whole school out, all the, all the pupils and staff. That took about an hour to, to organise, but uh, always, always quite stressful. But it, I think it went well. Now, quite often when schools do this, they, they get one of these time lapse pictures as well. Did you do that? We didn't. We didn't manage to sort that out. No, it would have been good. Would have been good to have the drone out there as well. Yeah. And was that Tempest or Gilman and Soam? Gilman and Soam. Yes. Gilman and Soam. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Soam. I thought it might yeah. be. There, there weren't that many that could uh, that could accommodate us. So we've got 1950 uh, pupils now, um, and with about two hundred staff as well. There weren't there weren't that many um, <laughs> companies that were, that could have the staging to, to have us all together at once. So. Gosh. And I, I often wonder with shoots like that. Not that I've ever done anything like that as a photographer, but but I often wonder when companies companies like Gilman and so say okay let's go for it when they're looking at the weather that's quite a big call to make isn't it because you know you could have good weather right now but in 30 minutes time it could start raining and then everything goes terribly wrong after that I know right and, and I think it was you that told me that uh, that photographers prefer a, a normal sort of cloudy simple day without any sun or wind and uh, it, that was good when I when I said that to him he said yes you're right this is perfect day you got a good memory, Ollie. I, I don't remember saying that at all, so it's, I'm quite impressed that you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, Ollie, thank you for being here and for talking to us about a few things. But before we talk about anything to do with Amkiss, I'd love to know a, a little bit about you, actually. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I haven't done a podcast, no, but having this massive microphone in front of me does remind me of my university radio days at Exeter. Uh, we had, uh, I, was, I was head of music for the, for the radio station for about a year and we did an FM broadcast during what's, you know, rag week. And uh, so I, I did the breakfast show with a friend who's happened to be my, my best man later on in life as well. So uh, that, was, that was great fun. I loved doing that. Wow. Wow. And that's pretty impressive that he ended up being your best man as well. So when were you at Exeter without giving away your age too much, of course? No, that's fine. I was uh, 97 to 2001. I did French and German with a view to joining the diplomatic service at the time and uh, applied for, for that twice and uh, got through to the second stage twice and uh, I didn't go any further. And so like many people, I think, in marketing, sort of fell into it. But now I kind of look back and, at, at doing a degree in languages and when I'm writing copy or proofreading something, I, I sort of think, oh, that, that was pretty useful to have done a, a languages degree because you learn about grammar and tense and you know I'm, I'm a quite, quite a geek about that sort of thing um so uh, it sort of takes me back and thinks oh yeah actually that was worth doing and do you enjoy speaking the languages too i do i don't get much of a, a chance to do that really i've still got some friends from germany where i spent my year abroad but that's usually just christmas and birthdays i'll write uh, 
uh, cards to them and, and they'll write to me. You know, I can understand it. We went on, on holiday to uh, the, the Holland-German uh, border uh, over Easter and we, we nipped over to Germany just so the kids could say they've been to a fourth country on their, on their trip. And uh, it was good to be able to use the language there in the, in the, in the ice cream cafe. Yeah. And do you find that not living in Germany or not living in France means that you start to lose the language over time? Or is it like riding a bike where you, where you always have it? Well, I think I've lost my French, but I think because I was so immersed in, in Germany and culture just from working in a school for a whole year, I don't forget the German and I can sort of, I can understand most of the German. I mean, sometimes I struggle to think about vocabulary or something like that, but I can usually explain my way around a sentence using other words, if you know what I mean. And you say that you fell into marketing. Did you fall into the concept of working in, in, in the independent school sector as well? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I suppose uh, marketing was through a job that I got in um, circulation sales. It was sort of telesales, really, for a, for a travel publisher, OAG, in Dunstable. And I was in sales for about two years and watched the marketing team and what sort of things they were doing, like organising events and, if you like, getting behind the, the sale and quite enjoyed that and sort of wanted to get into it. So I applied for a marketing executive job at Pearson, the, um, the education publisher, and got it. And so I was there for 10 years in a variety of sales and marketing roles. And then, uh, yeah, I suppose I just wanted to the, the next stage of my career, if you like. And uh, and I saw this job advertised at, at Brentwood School. Like many people, I'd, I'd never heard of Brentwood School because I'm not from South Essex sort of area. But once I came here and, you know, had a, like many of people in the sector, you have a tour of the grounds and, you know, realise what a, what a special place it all is. Then, you know, and yeah, seven and a half years later, I'm, I'm still here. So you say that you're not from that part of the world. I'm going to guess you're not from Ex- because you went to university there and quite often of course people go away to university so where are you from then? I'm from St Albans I was born in in Welling Garden City which was the nearest hospital but yeah I'm, I'm from St Albans and my parents are still there they they bought a house just after they got married in 1966 and they're still living there and so we were there only on Saturday just to, to visit them but uh, yeah that, that's where I grew up um, and I think now St Albans is a, a very posh area isn't it it's like the Mayfair of the UK uh, it wasn't really like that when I was growing up I found most of the facilities and shops a bit rubbish but um, now it's, it's gone all up market hasn't it and now I live on the East Hearts border near Bishop Stortford uh, in, a, in a small village just south of, of there yeah okay and tell us about your family situation I mean you, you mentioned about taking the family to uh, the Holland-Germany border, I think you said. How many children do you have then? So I have two children. My daughter's 11 and my son's eight. Um, they go to school up in Bishop Stortford. Um, and then my wife, Nicola, uh, she still works at Pearson. So and that, that's where we met. Um, yeah, so it's the four of us. It's four of us and, and my other son, Hugo, the, the Cavalier, King Charles Spaniel. He's uh, nearly three. <laughs> awesome. Great to include Hugo with that. And I'm just being completely nosy now. How do the pair of you, your wife and yourself, manage work and being parents, you know, getting that balance right between you? God, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I feel quite guilty, really, because she does most of the uh, of, of the parenting during the week. I mean, I'm, I'm out of the house before seven and I get home about six. So she does all the school drop off and pick up. You know, she's been lucky enough to, well, I'm not sure she consider it lucky, but she, she's been working at home since, you know, February, March 2020. 
um, and there's no plans for them to, to go back at all. So, you know, and I hear from some friends who work in the city and don't get home till nine or 10 at night and, uh, and whatever. So I still, I suppose I feel lucky to be able to get a few hours with them every evening where, where some of my friends don't. So there's that. And, and we've got all weekends and, and holidays and things like that as well together. It is tough. I mean, and, you know, during lockdown, every, everyone found that very tough with the, with the homeschooling. I mean, my daughter being 10, 9, 10 at the time was a bit more uh, diligent than, than my son was getting on with her homework and worksheets and things like that. But he just wanted to... Uh, play football and do Lego and it's just trying to uh, trying to motivate him as well as getting on a zoom call was uh, sometimes quite tough but you know thankfully I think everybody was a bit more everyone was understanding of that fact weren't they after that BBC clip and and it's just you, you know you just a quick apology and sometimes they joined in with our uh, team quizzes and things like that it was quite fun. Mm-hmm. Okay well let's talk a little bit about Amkiss itself now first of all tell us what your connection is with Amkiss what is it you do for Amkiss or with Amkiss Sure yeah well I'm current I'm current chair of Amkiss um until next May uh, 23 so um I joined the board in 2017 I think and right from the first Amkiss conference I went to really which would have been the summer of 2015 um so after I joined um, you know, I realised what a what a great organisation it is. It's it's basically just made up of lots of people doing the same job as you, with the same challenges as you, and the same uh, you know difficult people to work with or, or whatever. And I found it, I think, therapeutic is probably the word I would use, really, because um, I came away feeling a bit less alone and, and, and you know a, a feeling that you're part of over 500 schools around the country doing the same kind of thing. And I think in the last two years, especially. Uh, there's just been so much collaboration and, and, and friendship shown in the sector, whereas before perhaps it was a little bit more competitive. And I've never been really been like that. I mean, I, I, I figure you might as well just get on with it, with people. And, and even if they're a competitor, they're, they're pretty much going to do the same sort of thing anyway. As, as most websites, companies tell us, you know, every school says exactly the same thing uh, and, and they try and sort of push us into a, into a funnel. And you, you try and come up with it with a USP, don't you? But um, but essentially, we're all working towards the same sort of audience. I, I guess you're right. I mean, fundamentally, schools are all providing the same kind of service. But, you know, schools do do it in, in their own unique ways. But but yeah. at the end of the day, that broadly, everybody is providing the same kind of service, aren't they? And you mentioned about friendship right. and competitiveness. What is it, do you think, about the, the, the marketing industry within the independent school sector, which kind of keep school marketing managers and, and marketing directors quite close together i think just generally because we are marketeers and we're communicators we we want to just keep we don't we want to be open about stuff and we and, we, and we're just very happy to share and there are so many media now to do that through like especially the social media and there's various groups on facebook and linkedin and and whatsapp and things like that that people might ask a question and and you know within minutes you'll get an answer and then you'll get another answer and then you'll get another one and and then suddenly you've got this great big forum of of, of things to think about to go back to their master and say oh well you know i i uh, i surveyed all of my colleagues and and they said we should do it this way and it's it's just yeah it's really helpful good support network how about if someone was feeling maybe just you know i'm thinking about maybe a newer marketing manager in a school maybe they are feeling like they need to protect their marketing strategy or their tactics or maybe possibly even worse if they've got a head in the school who says don't share anything at all with other marketing managers because maybe the head doesn't understand that there's a whole network there where everybody can support everybody else 
any advice for anyone in who might be in that situation and who's listening to this right now? Well, I think there's some things that you can share and 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 probably some things that you don't want to, you know. But yeah, there's always there's always going to be the first person that does an online prospectus or the first person that does a 360 interactive tour or or whatever else all of the other tools are and you, you'll feel great about that for a few months and then someone else will do it and but you know there is so much out there to choose from and yes I'm sure some people have their own brilliant ideas and I know several colleagues that, that have, have done that and I've had some and you know you, you feel great about it and uh, you want to probably protect it so that your competitors don't do the same thing and I think perhaps in, in many more more competitive areas I suppose particularly in London around the prep school market as well you know maybe you want to keep that uniqueness. So tell us about Brent would then just sort of in a snapshot you know you talk about london and prep schools and things like that where would where would brentwood schools sit in what sort of category tell us a bit about the region of the country that you're in as well sure yeah well we're in uh, i would say we're in south of, of essex um just outside the m25 so um you know we appeal to east london you know ilford woodford sort of way but as far as also south end and down to grays and up to up to where i am in bishop stortford so quite quite a big diameter if you like and we are 3 to 18 co-educational day and boarding um, I mentioned before we've got ni- 1,950 pupils now, but but you know still still try to keep that small school feel by uh, having small small year groups and uh, but I think that just enables us to to do a lot more and have a lot more opportunities for the for the kids because we have so many staff and, and the facilities and we can just offer you know not a, not just an a and a b team in in football but a f and a g team so everybody still gets to participate and there's you know orchestras and choirs and bands and uh, and all the rest of it and you know i went to an independent school myself in st albans i went to st columbus college and i'm a governor there now and i never had uh, as as many opportunities um as as they do here we certainly didn't do drama um i was in i was in the productions and had to play a girl because it because it was an all boys school but we didn't have uh you know and I, I was never had the opportunity to play with a big band or and sing and and that sort of thing and i and i watch some of the kids that, that do it here you know it's like going to the west end they're such fantastic um quality and I, I, you sort of wish that you had that opportunity when you were younger now you mentioned that you went to an independent school yourself and Actually, when I speak to marketing managers and marketing and admissions directors, quite often I find that they went to an independent school themselves. Do you think that that helps? This might be a slightly controversial question. Do you, do you think that that helps to, to, to do the role that marketing managers and directors do in independent schools today? Or do you think it makes no difference at all? I don't think so. I don't think I can say it makes a, a big difference um, because it has changed so much. And, you know, it was over 20 years ago that I was at school so it would be wrong of me to to make that distinction, I think. Okay, tell us a little bit about the pandemic in that case. I mean, we don't want to talk much about pandemic because here we are finally seeing, hopefully, the back end of it. But, yes. you know, a school like Brentwood with that number of pupils, well, what was your level of panic, Can if I can use that word, back in March <laughs> 2020? <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was crazy. I mean, we were we were led very ably, I, I must say, by our by our headmaster, who just 
um, had you know had the plan in place very early on, I think, and, and had sp- spoken to the right people and had the foresight. And you know, we had uh, everybody came together, particularly at IT, uh, coming up with a complete online timetable right from day one of, of lockdown, and uh, everything moved to Zoom. But it wasn't just the lessons, you know, the director of music made sure that the pupils still played music. We had an online concert every Friday, uh, which wasn't just great for the musicians, but it was great for the whole school community and, and actually all of their relatives around the world as well because they could watch it on YouTube. You know, we had Sports Day online, we had a CCF parade running virtually. Uh, so there was, the, the, I suppose the pupils still felt that sense of community. Um, and my kids go to a, that go to a, a state primary didn't get anything like that. You know, I, they were just sent a worksheet, had a, one Zoom lesson a day, which was usually just the kids reading to each other. And, uh, I, you know, we certainly, we certainly heard that from other parents um, that, that were in the state sector oh, and some independent schools uh, that they just didn't react to it quick enough. Um, mm. And so it just it wasn't a, as good an experience for for their kids. And I think the whole sector, the whole independent sector has probably benefited, if that's the right word, um, from that because the parents sort of don't trust the, the state sector to, uh, to educate the children in the same way should it happen again. Which I hope to God it doesn't. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, clearly pandemic for a lot of people was, was, was a very bad time. But, but I find that talking to some marketing managers and marketing directors in schools, that they kind of enjoyed the thrill of having to react very quickly to respond to, you know, parent concerns. And, and, and okay, <laughs> they may not have admitted this at the time, but looking back, it was quite an exciting time in their career. Is that something that you'd, you'd share with, that you'd resonate with at all? Well, isn't that weird? Because, you know, I always say that, uh, that the job is much more enjoyable when you've got a crisis. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it, it is, you know, when you're, when you're a comms professional and, and people are looking at you uh, to sort something out or come up with some wording for something, you know, you, you feel like you, you're, suddenly, you're suddenly at the front of the queue and, and so, you, you know, you feel, you feel special and you feel like you're valued, I suppose, more, more valued than, than you normally would. So, yes, uh, I suppose so. I mean, I, I can't really say that, I, you know, I enjoyed it in general, but there, there were certain parts of having, having to react quickly to things, which I quite like to do, using your initiative and, and uh, you know, thinking on your feet. Is, yeah, that's, I suppose, I don't know if that's something that's shared amongst most marketeers, but, yeah, I certainly do. Well, maybe that'll be a discussion topic over coffee at, at the AMKIS conference. Now, if someone's thinking about coming to AMKIS, or, or maybe when they're listening to this they've actually signed up to come but they've never been to amkis before what would you advise to someone that's never been before for them to get the most from the event yeah well network 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 i would say you know don't stand in a corner on your phone i mean you know just try and put out those two days and just talk to as many people as you can and uh, get their linkedin profile so that you can just keep connected to them because i think that's just the most useful thing you know i've got a huge network of people now on linkedin that i that i know i can draw on um and whenever anyone mentions an independent school i was only speaking to um, a, a teacher today that's moving to a school in newcastle and i quickly just had a look on linkedin to see if i 
uh, was connected to any of them and said, oh, yeah, I'm, I've got the admissions manager there. And, and you just sort of feel like it's a slightly smaller country than, than it is, you know. So that would be my piece of advice. Use the tea, teas and coffees and lunchtime to sit with somebody you don't know and get to know them. And, you know, as for the sessions, you've got the, the app now um, on Event, uh, Event Central and that's, that's brilliant. You can look through the programme, work out where you want to go if you're from a school that ha- you're bringing several colleagues, split yourselves up um, and then um, meet up afterwards and find out what the other session was about. Good advice. Yeah, I think that's probably what I'd say. Ollie, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. And and Tori's asked if I could ask you a question. And and I don't know where I don't know where we're going with <laughs> this. But Tori said to me, ask Ollie this question. So so here we go. Ollie, if you were on Mastermind, what would your specialist subject be? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. Yes, I have always said that it would be WWF wrestling from the late 80s to the <laughs> early 90s because uh, there isn't much about that that I don't know. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, if you think about me being a, a you know 8 to, to 14 year old and yeah that, that I, I used to I used to do it I used to wrestle my friends in the garden I would watch every single program on their telly because we didn't have Sky um, we went to see SummerSlam 92 live at Wembley which is the second best night of my life I have to tell my wife and that was with with 80,000 other people and it was the most amazing event uh, that, that I've never I've never been to a live event like it and you know that was in the, in the height of my obsession with 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 wrestling uh, I, don't, I don't really watch it now, but, um, you know. But 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 what led to this in the first place? Oh, gosh, I don't know, really. Um, we, I certainly used to watch the, the UK version with Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. My, my dad loved that. It was on a Saturday lunchtime in the 80s. Um, so I loved that, and I loved the sort of crowd kind of aspect of it. And you knew it wasn't real, but you just sort of got into the goody-baddie kind of thing. And, and then this US one came about, and my friend was watching it, and... T- he sort of said, oh, you know, come and come and check it out. And I think uh, my brother got me some of the old videos from the old WrestleManias and the old events. And I would watch those in the summer. And you just sort of it was a bit like a soap opera, really, over the five or six years that I'd watched it. Because you watch these characters and you, they they kind of develop and they have their problems and then they get into fights with the others. And, it, you know, it was, it was great. It makes me sound pathetic, doesn't it? But <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs> and and who was the commentator for the, the American WWF commentator? A famous guy. Oh, famous guy. Well, Vince McMahon is now the owner. Vince McMahon. He's he's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I mean, I I, I didn't really follow it, but 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 that's that's the name that jumps out. Of course, that that is the name. I, Ollie, I never would have guessed that you were into wrestling at all. I'm I'm certainly oh, not really? into wrestling. Oh. I, I, I don't know if many <laughs> listeners are into into wrestling either. <laughs> but maybe we could find no, out at not. the Amkis conference. Yeah. Ollie, we need to bring this to a close in a minute. But if anyone's heard anything and wants to connect with you, it sounds like LinkedIn is a good platform for you for them to find out more about you. That's probably the best one. Yes, if you Google Ollie Adams, you'll find a famous New Zealand surfer who's much better looking and younger than than I am. But he spells his name the same way as me. But yes, if, I don't think he's on LinkedIn. So <laughs> I'm probably the first. I'm probably the first one that comes up on LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> okay, and you're Ollie, as in O L I, as opposed to any other. Okay. All right. Got it. Well, Ollie, thanks for your time. Thank you for being here and talking to us about Amkis, talking about Brentwood and talking about yourself as well. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. So that was Ollie Adams from Brentwood School. Thank you, Ollie, for talking to us today. Really good of you to give up your time, especially on the day after Easter Monday. 
By the way, you don't need to be an Amkiss member to attend the annual conference. So if you're not yet a member and you wanted to check it out with no commitment, then it could be a good opportunity for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. We provide podcasts for school marketing. That means that your school could have its own podcast as a way of connecting with your school community, such as current parents, pupils, staff, your alumni network, even prospective parents too. Deeper connections ultimately lead to more prospective parents, so that's never a bad thing. To find out more, just visit thebonjouragency.com or ask Tori, and I'm sure that she'll put you in touch with me. I'm Simon Jones. But that's enough about us. Thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so that you can stay connected. And we look forward to seeing you again. Bye for now.